Warning, the following podcast contains explicit language, but only in English, I think. This week's episode of The Scathing Atheist is brought to you by Stamps.com, Bloom That, Dollar Shave Club, and by our Alex Jones in Five Words or Less contest. Today's winner is at Zippy Scooch, who had Elmer Fudd, the pro wrestler, nicely done at Zippy Scooch. Alex Jones pulls a Chris Benoit. At least the kids won't be there, so that's good. Anyway, we're going to roll with this one for one more week, so keep tweeting us using the hashtag scathingalexjones, five words or less, and you could be the next winner. And now, the Scathing Atheist. Hello, I'm a guy who listens from England. I mean, literally, my name is Guy, and I listen from England. I went to the same thousand-year-old school as Stephen Hawking and Pope Adrian IV. Where I learned that we are indeed descended from filthy monkey men. It's Thursday. It's May eleventh. And I'm firing Noah and Heath, and it has nothing to do with the crawl space. Or Heath getting his shorts back. I'm No Illusions. I'm Eli Bosnick. I'm Heath Enright. And from New York, New York, and Secret Lair, Pennsylvania, this is The Skating Atheist. On this week's episode, Andy Wakefield is a baby-murdering piece of shit. Creationists get strangely angry about schools teaching the controversy over cisgender capitalism. And Gail Jordan and Daryl Ray will be here to talk about recovering from religion in a non-reupholstering sense. But first, the diatribe. Didn't we learn this fucking lesson with Socrates? I mean, blasphemy, Ireland? You might as well have just dropped charges against Stephen Fry for cavorting with the accursed one to withhold the reins. And when I say that, keep in mind what it takes in the present moment for an American to criticize another country's ability to govern itself. All right, so here's the story. A couple of years ago, Stephen Fry goes on Irish public television and he gets one of these bullshit, you know, what if you're wrong about your atheism questions? Now, baked into those questions, of course, are always the assumption that your inquisitor's religion is right, but they rarely actually say that. So when I get these questions, I often clarify by asking, you mean if I found out the ancient Egyptians were right and I should have been mummified? But Fry did better than I could have ever hoped to. He let loose on an epic rant that has become iconic in the intervening years, goes goes viral every three months or so. This jackass asks him what he'll do if he shows up at the pearly gates and has to answer to God. And the first words out of his mouth are bone cancer in children. He spends a solid five minutes railing about what a cruel motherfucker the Christian God would have to be to create insects that exist by burrowing the corneas out of children. He calls the Christian God capricious, mean-minded, evil, stupid, maniacal, selfish, and of course, non-existent. In the space of a couple of paragraphs, Stephen Fry destroys Christian mythology, shows why we're better off without it, and makes the interviewer really wish he'd gone with the boxers or briefs question after all. And along the way, he blasphemes. A lot in legendary ways. And technically speaking, that's against the law in Ireland. So we get news last week that Fry is currently under investigation after a complaint was filed from under the uh, 2009 Defamation Act. 
the anonymous complainant says he wasn't reporting this because he was personally offended, but rather because it's against the law and he figured it was his duty as a citizen to tell the teacher when she came back in the classroom. So now, as is required by this stupid fucking law, the Irish government has to investigate to see whether Fry's tirade hurt Jesus's feelings. Now, to be clear, there is no hemlock in Stephen Fry's future. Within days of the international publicity, the Irish government dropped the charges. But damn, does this offer us an opportunity to underscore all the progress we haven't made. I mean, how the fuck can a law like this sit in modern law books without all the other statutes just laughing it off the page? I mean, the fact that they dropped the charges makes it less cruel, sure, but not less stupid. One way or the other, you invested public resources investigating defamation against a fictional fucking character. And one way or the other, you're scaring off people tempted to speak out against the absurdity and abuses of the church that might not have the ability to garner international press the way that Stephen Fry does, right? You know, we tend to think of blasphemy laws as some vestigial remnant from the Irish Magna Carta or whatever, but we're talking about a law that went into effect in 2010. We've covered a number of stories since we started doing this show about European countries trying to pass new blasphemy laws or strengthen existing ones. Most often, it's justified as a means to combat Islamophobia or hate speech or whatever, but RIFRA was originally designed to protect peyote-smoking natives. You know, regardless of what you think the value of their intent is, we already know what the result of these laws is, and there's no value in that. And if you don't believe me, ask the mayor of Jakarta when he finishes serving his two-year sentence for a mistranslated subtitle. And I don't need to tell you, but there are plenty of places where you can still lose your life for this shit, and you can bet your ass that these nations justify their laws in some degree by the fact that most other nations seem to agree that there's something criminally wrong about calling out God for being the poorly constructed literary villain that he is. And look, if, if he had to, I bet Stephen Fry could probably prove that the Christian God, fictitious or otherwise, is capricious, mean-minded, evil, stupid, maniacal, and selfish to the standard of any reasonable court. But that's not how this shit works. Blasphemy laws aren't about whether or not a statement is true. They're about whether it's offensive. Of course, in practice, they're rarely even about that. Most often, they just exist so a ruling regime can imprison anybody they care to. You know, I don't think Russia's harsh blasphemy laws are an outgrowth of Putin's deep and abiding respect for religion, for example. But even when they function the way they're supposed to, they're stupid at best and barbaric at worst. And yet, Western democracy seems perfectly willing in all too many cases to cede the moral high ground on this one and play along with a nonsensical notion that God is a thing that can be insulted. Now, you'll forgive me for talking so much about an occupational hazard that probably doesn't affect you as much as me, but restrictions on speech are restrictions on ideas, and that's important enough to scare us all. It seems like even in this country, our commitment to free speech is starting to get a little fuzzy around the edges, and you don't need to paint any grand conspiracies to imagine the U.S. body politic coalescing some anti-hate speech groups and some progressive Christian groups and getting majority support for the exact same foot-in-the-door bullshit that we're seeing in Ireland. And the fact that we were so quick to drop the charges against Stephen Fry is an admission that the law is bullshit, so why not go all the way and drop the fucking law? I mean, would the outcome have been the same if nobody was out there raising their voices to ridicule this archaic third world bullshit? Atheist Ireland put out a press release saying they welcome this investigation because it showcases, quote, a law that is silly, silencing and dangerous, end quote. But that only works if we showcase the fuck out of it. So, Ireland, if you're listening, even the country that elected Donald Trump thinks you look stupid. And also, God is capricious, mean minded, evil, stupid, maniacal and selfish. Come at me, bro. They're talking about your Jesus. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special news bulletin. Joining me for headlines tonight are two gentlemen who wish they were French, Heath Enright and Eli Bosnick. Fellas, are you ready to recognize Franco's superiority at last? Yeah, definitely. But let's be clear about the bar they rolled over. <laughs> right. We're praising France for not electing the child of a Nazi as president. That, that person came in second in their mm -hmm. election. Yeah. So congrats. 
Felicitations. Great job. <laughs> Actually, in the single most French thing ever to happen, abstaining from the election came in second. Nazi daughter came yeah. in third. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, one way or the other, I feel like I need to brush up on my French. So we're going to pause for a quick word from our first sponsor this week, Stamps.com. Hey, folks, quick announcement. If you're a patron and you're owed a copy of Diatribes Volume 2, they went out on the mail on Tuesday. And you'd all have nothing without Stamps.com. Eli, what are you doing, man? We have a Stamps.com ad later in the show. Nope, I'm doing this now. Look, we love all our sponsors. We really do. But as someone who individually typed out and addressed 200 Christian movie bingo cards earlier this year, let me tell you, Stamps.com is the best. Well, I'm sure it is, but... I mean, hush now, Patricia Krenzel. See, as much fun as I had spending a calendar year deciphering the addresses, I assume you all typed into Patreon by throwing pencils at your keyboard and then going to a post office in Washington Heights, New York to buy exact postage for over a hundred separate envelopes with almost 25 people in line behind me. With stamps.com, I simply imported a CSV file straight from Patreon and printed the postage right at my desk. Well, that's, that's awesome. Uh, okay, well, and as I, was I know what you're thinking, but Eli, didn't scheduling saying, a parcel pickup ruin the fun of winding your way past the various closed shoe stores in your neighborhood with 900 pounds of books strapped to your body like an alpine climber? It sure did. It sure did. The nice postman came and got the 150 books from my home. His name was Steve. Look, Eli, I, I'm really glad that you like Stamps.com so much, but... Uh, Maybe our listeners hate easy things, love waiting in line. That's all possible. But just in case you'd like to make mailing incredibly easy, they can use our code SCATHING for this special offer. You get a four-week trial that includes postage and a free digital scale, which I used to automatically weigh everything I sent out right on the Stamps.com website, as opposed to last time when I put a Christian movie bingo card on my coffee scale. That sounds um, inaccurate. It was. It was. So don't wait. Go to stamps.com. And before you do anything else, click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage and type in scathing. That's stamps.com. Enter scathing. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again and stick two different value stamps onto over 200 envelopes, as well as address labels and return address labels, and then get it wrong. So you need to no. They, go they get they get it. They get it, Eli. Do they? <laughs> you have a good day. You have a good day on Monday. <laughs> you enjoy your. And now back to the headlines. In our lead story tonight, according to a new executive order from Donald Trump, pay attention to me, <laughs> voters. Yeah, voters. That seems to be voters. About the entire voters, substance voters, of the whole thing. Voters, voters, voters. Other than that, it was basically just a meaningless reminder that the IRS should continue not doing its job when it comes to revoking tax-exempt status from religious groups that violate the Johnson Amendment by endorsing political candidates. And I say meaningless because the IRS has already been not doing that job for the last 63 years, except literally once. Yeah, they yep, did their job yep. on this exactly <laughs> once since 1954 when the rule started. So yeah, pretty much nothing happened. I want to be a church. No, we know. We know. You're like, God, Jesus, nobody can piss me off with inaction like Donald Trump, except maybe my oncologist. Thus far, the entire Trump administration has been a series of nothing happening, but still managing to have negative consequences. It's like the not exercise of administrations. You don't think nothing can be bad for you, but it's real bad for you. 
Real, <laughs> real bad for you. But this would be like if you were making sure you didn't exercise by like throwing those dumbbells out of a ninth floor window onto a busy street. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, no, but the analogy holds. I told you that in confidence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Trump didn't really accomplish anything, but mm. he's still tragically stupid and wrong. He just told the IRS that it's cool with him if they continue not taxing political groups that are pretending to be charities as long as those groups are religious. So it's not like we needed confirmation that the president of the United States is cool with undermining the First and Fourteenth Amendments, but now we have extra just in case. Yeah, so, you're right. right. Also three through ten, probably thirteen, definitely fifteen, <laughs> yeah. nineteen through twenty-seven, and the emoluments clause. I will quarter our troops. The best troops in people's <laughs> homes because our soldiers, and these are great people, by the way, need places to stay. They don't have places. They have the worst places. We're going to fix it. It's going to be so great. You're going to have a soldier in your home, high schooler, shaved head, weird kid who wants to be in the military. There's no way he knows that amendment. Yeah, so, again, nothing was really accomplished. But this is Donald Trump we're talking about. So... Nothing wasn't quite as successful as you might expect from your average person who did nothing. He managed to do nothing so badly that he's being sued by the FFRF just on like general principles. Yeah, right. Even nothing's gonna happen. <laughs> just FFRF sitting around their executive table. I mean, it doesn't mean anything. Well, we could do something that doesn't mean anything too, Alan, who said life is meaningless anyways. This is serious, guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so before we wrap up this story... Here's a quick highlight from Trump's executive order. He said, quote, we will not allow people of faith to be targeted, bullied or silenced anymore. Wait a minute. Yeah. And, and we will never, ever stand for religious discrimination. Oh, yeah. Never, ever. Wait, what? End quote. Two never, evers. Two never, evers like a child. It might as well have ended with, wait, plus another Muslim man and yeah, right. never, ever starting now. Yeah, exactly. Now. No backsies. No backsies. <laughs> And in double D-bag news tonight, Dave Dobenmeyer, a.k.a. Coach Dave, continues to serve in his role at Pass the Salt Ministries. And apparently that means talking into a microphone from the press box of a stadium that seems to have emptied out about five it's years ago. It's such a weird fact. Pretty sure he's just been up there soiling himself this whole time. <laughs> Security just doesn't want to get involved, so... Keep hey, going. Coach Dave and I both know a door barricaded by your feces is a barricade that holds. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, that barricade means we got to hear about chemtrails and the women at Fox News getting sexually harassed for fun and profit oh, on for purpose. Okay, so as offensive as the she was begging for an excuse always is, it's even worse when it comes from a man whom no one so, ever so much as consented to it with. Right. I mean, Dave, you're a grown man in a fucking baseball cap. You have given up your chance to alpine on sex with other people. Sorry. <laughs> All right. We're going to start with those crafty, liberal sexual harassment victims over at Fox News. So Coach Dave's talking about, I'm assuming, the horrible persecution of Bill O'Reilly. And here's what he had to say. Quote, have you seen how the women on Fox News dress? Oh, for they dress like that, and if but, you say something to them, you are harassing them. Hard segue. <laughs> I wonder if Anderson Cooper has propositioned any boys oh, he's had oh, on his show. Yes. How come we don't hear anything about that? I End wonder. Why? I wonder. How come we haven't heard anything about that? <laughs> and if he has, what do you think them young fellers wore to catch his wandering eye? Sorry, what was I talking about? <laughs> 
Call me coach. <laughs> Wait, I want to I want to back this up for a second. So the, the the fact that Fox has a sexist wardrobe policy excuses the sexism of their hosts. Like yeah. they've like they've created some misogynistic singularity where all the rules of sexism break down. <laughs> the fuck. All right, so continuing with the quote, he also added, you turn on right now Fox and Friends, and I guarantee you there's some leg crosser. Leg crosser is the term he's using. <laughs> there's some leg crosser sitting right there on the couch showing all flesh. Probably doesn't even have sleeves on. Sleeves? Sleeves. So, and fixing. Uh, you guys picturing Coach Dave watching Sharon Stone cross her legs just punching Newman in the face, diving across the table at her with his dick out. Because that's what I'm I mean, it's Thursday, so yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, can I just say <laughs> how much I love that Coach Dave seems vaguely aware of the, like, let's have a pretty white lady say our racist shit techniques of Fox News, but not the purpose. It's like yeah, right. he's standing on a giant X figuring out whether or not treasure exists. He's like, <laughs> how would gold even fit into coins? <laughs> All right, so we go from there to the chemtrails thing. According to Coach Dave, there's a sinister plot by fucking someone Us. to spread poisonous chemicals all over the sky, which will eventually get inside our food, but also inside the utensils we cook with somehow. So that's not, not like a forks and knives and spoons, but like poison spatulas. Yeah, no, what right. he's worried about. Poison spatulas is my Church of Lies spinoff solo project. <laughs> Anyway, you see, airplanes full of poison to contaminate kitchenware is how the people he calls God haters are going to give everyone Alzheimer's disease. That's we want our plan, apparently. Everyone to and then I guess we're going to swindle everyone's money betting on memory games. Is call forward. <laughs> <laughs> I keep saying it at the meetings, but it would be so much easier to just. Get a spatula guy in the factory. I've told Burkholder a thousand fucking times. <laughs> yes. Because the obvious chemtrail conspiracy, Coach Dave says he's going to, quote, err on the side of tinfoil hats <laughs> because that blocks the poison from when you hit yourself in the head with a spatula all oh, the time. Oh, I, I see. You have a hat. No, that, yeah. But foil. Splatter. You're, you're better. And in with a red hot poker news tonight. Coach Dave is not the only one worried about memory games coming to get us all. Call backward. Christian host of True <laughs> News and sports announcer who Pepe Le Pew is about to confuse for another skunk, Rick Wiles, <laughs> is back to the future again this week after news that a poker-playing robot, otherwise known as a computer program, has him worried <laughs> that it's probably possessed by Satan. Oh, Jesus. All right, all right. So before we even get to all of that, I just want to say putting true in the name of your newscast is like putting democratic in the name of your country. Okay. We're not, it'd be like us renaming the show. The Eli doesn't really want to fuck that. It's just a joke. Atheists. <laughs> Andrew is still pushing hard for that. He title, is. I though. get a lot of emails. I'm saving that for the spinoff show we do when Heath dies. Well, anyway. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to die before you. <laughs> Contact. Detente. Go. <laughs> uh, Waz's logic goes like this: the program detente go, yeah, detente. I love go. that so much. That's my favorite two words that have ever existed side by side in all of history. Thank you for that. Start a betting pool. His logic goes like this: 
The program, which, by the way, is actually pretty cool and you should look up, has learned to bluff and, more importantly, read bluffs based on a player's style. And since bluff and lie are the same if you're Rick Wiles or Noah and Heath getting fleeced by a 19-year-old Japanese magician who's never played poker before, before Wiles, who's never played poker before, Wiles is now under the impression that computers have learned to lie. Okay, wait, fleece. I came in third place in a tournament game. That's not fleece. It's a five dollar <laughs> yeah. tournament. We played like thirty break. hands all night. There's no fleecing in that. Anyway, he was he was making pot size raises. I saw him start <laughs> to shuffle two stacks of chips into one and then catch himself, <laughs> catch me, catch him. You clearly brought a ringer. Yeah, those nineteen year old poker pros who do sponge bunnies. I, like he would have told you he was. I want to point out that Eli's now defending himself by pretending 19 year old Japanese statistics master is something that would obviously be sarcastic. Racist. No. Forthwith. Not what that also means. Knows. Okay. Since <laughs> Satan is the father of lies, according to Wiles, that means that the computer will function as the, quote, global brain that will embody Lucifer's mind, end quote. But like like computers lying is a new thing, you know, like he's never seen his computer say, oh, that'll be done in two minutes and 30 seconds. I'm sorry, but either computers learned to lie a long time ago or I owe a lot of busty, mostly naked potential Facebook friends an apology. Yeah, I like them. We Skype. (laughs) We're still, according to Wiles, eventually the demon controlled robots will start replacing human workers, resulting in massive unemployment. And that second part about the robots replacing humans that's true to be fair but until the robots learn to podcast i'm not super worried i guess is what i'm saying <laughs> they will what's a mean way to talk about andrew and thomas <laughs> whatever learn some intonation wiles concluded quote i'm gonna tell you where i think this is going i think the deep state planners have already figured this out and they have scheduled a massive war to eliminate tens of millions perhaps hundreds of millions of useless eaters I really believe that, end quote. That's our word. Yeah, so, yeah, nobody break it to him, but Rick Wiles has just crazied himself into the plot of Terminator, but it starts with poker. He knows it starts with poker. (laughs) Doesn't know much, but he knows that. Well, just to be on the safe side, I'm going to go ahead and draft a letter of advanced surrender to our robot overlords who will at least get rid of time zones and just make it 14 a fucking clock everywhere at the same time. So we're going to pause for a quick break. And when we come back, we'll hand things over to my lovely wife, Lucinda. Allison Enright. Hey, Mom. Oh, Heath. So good to hear from you. Yeah, thanks, Mom. Happy Mother's Day. Oh, thank you, sweetie. Yeah, I, I didn't forget. So I... Uh... You went to bloomthat.com. Uh, not you two. Oh, you shouldn't have. A just-picked, hand-designed, Instagram-ready, gorgeous bouquet. Ah, Heath, you're such a wonderful son. Well, actually, what what I did... Oh, of course, I'm being silly. It's not just the bouquet. You must have gone to bloomthat.com slash atheist and gotten me that premium designer vase that cost everyone else $15 but was free with your order and those handmade caramel treats which cost everyone else $10, of course. All right, yeah, so... Here's the thing. Um, you know, just the other day, I was saying to your father, 
I don't care what you say. It was totally worth carrying him around for nine months and then pushing him through a hole the size of my ear canal. A hole, by the way, that's never regained its elasticity or feeling. Mom, really? I know, I know. And then to feed you milk out of tits for another four years, which oh my God. was essentially like putting them on the rack three times a day while you grew into the baby version of a kaiju. Okay, see... The thing, the thing is, but no, I, I didn't, no, no, no. I think it was all worth it because you went to bloomthat.com slash atheist. That's B L O O M T H A T slash A T H E I S T and found the perfect handcrafted designer flowers. I mean, you automatically got the free premium designer vase and caramel treats, of course, a $25 value. Again, that's bloomthat.com slash atheist for a premium designer bouquet, free vase, and treats. And it was only available to your listeners if they went to bloomthat.com slash atheist. Yeah. Well, I hope you like them, Mom. Oh, I know I will. (laughs) And to think I was going to do a shot of Jameson in three cartwheels when I found out about you. You were? Yep. Father hid the Jameson. (laughs) (laughs) He hid it in his stomach. (laughs) (laughs) His mom sounded like a smoke. A man wrote the Bible. A whore is what she was. If it's a legitimate rape. It makes you a slut, right? Hey, cooking can be fun. Hey, I'm proud of a man. This week in Massachusetts. Okay, first of all, I missed you too. And it's awkward when you haven't talked to somebody in a while to just dive right into the conversation talking about menstruation. But I'm afraid I'm going to have to do exactly that. Because while I was recovering from my conitis, I had multiple listeners send me a story from the BBC News magazine about a place in Nepal where women are still banished to the outskirts of town during their dirty time. But I don't really want to talk about that. I mean, given my choice, I'd be not talking about it because it wasn't happening. But after a week off, I don't want to start things off on such a down note. I don't want to be all like, hey, how you been? You know, Hindus in Nepal are still in the 11th century BCE. You hear about that woman in Virginia who got kicked out of her church for having boob and a hungry baby? Pass the ketchup when you're done with it, huh? Instead, I kind of want to put you in a good mood. So I scoured the news sources for some good news on the misogyny front, and I think you'll be pretty impressed with what I managed to find for you. For example, here's a story from our friends, the Muslims, on a new progressive stance they're taking on women's rights. This comes to us from Kuwaiti cleric Othman Al-Khamis, who took to television last week to remind Muslims that you can't just go around kidnapping, raping, and enslaving women all willy-nilly. I mean, you can still go around kidnapping, raping, and enslaving them, just not all willy-nilly. There are rules. For example, if the woman you've kidnapped and enslaved is married, you can't rape her. So there you go. Good news. All right, not very good. I'll admit, but this next one actually is good news, and that's the latest news on those girls abducted by Boko Haram back in 2014. As of last week, 82 of the girls were released. Now, of course, that's out of 276, so this isn't exactly a fairy tale ending, but it's a better ending than I'd imagine those 82 girls were expecting. Now, the fact that it came immediately after I saw that story about the Kuwaiti cleric outlawing the raping of married women, it did have a, well, now where's the fun in this feel to it. But however it happens that these women escaped, obviously that really is something to celebrate. So yeah, good news, but overshadowed by the horrible news around it. So I have one more for you, and that's an update on the antics of our favorite Planned Parenthood mega donor, Greg Locke. Locke is a jackass that publicly told the internet not to keep donating money to Planned Parenthood in his name, 
and then publicly told the internet he really meant it this time. Well, last we heard from old Greggy Boy, he was planning an anti-Planned Parenthood protest where he was going to give them back the countless thank you letters he was receiving daily for his donations. Well, perhaps unaware that the what if they gave a war and nobody came thing was a rhetorical device, he led his army of four, plus guests, to the organization's D.C. headquarters and ceremoniously dumped all the letters into a recycling bin outside the building. And then just sort of, you know, hung out there being angry and wondering what time CNN and YouTube are coming to ask him questions. Now, I haven't seen any updates from Lux since then, so I kind of like to think he's just still waiting around there wondering why the lamestream media keeps ignoring him. And as unlikely as that is, I'm making no effort to disconfirm it because I wanted to leave you with good news. So with that, I'll hand things back over to Noah, Heath, and Eli. Thank you, Lucinda. And in land of 10,000 hot takes news tonight, the Somali population of Minnesota, thank you, the Somali population of Minnesota is celebrating Throwback Thursday this week by bringing back deadly long dead diseases. And I, for one, am unsure if that or the picture of you and your girls in college is worse. Uh, I am sure it's you and your girls in college. There's a cure for measles, but lack of personality is forever. So is HPV. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. We are many. And who, you may ask, is the villain behind it all? Winner of his high school's most likely to get sucker punched by a podcaster award, Andy Wakefield, who you absolutely should not murder. For those unfamiliar with the ex-doctor, he's a big who on fucking which is why you should put a in the inside of your car it, and pretend it was an accident. Don't do it. This is all a joke. Any reasonable person would assume I'm joking about the joke I just made. I'm a comedian. No, you just said that. And any reasonable listener will just assume that whatever Eli was saying underneath all those beeps was really funny. And they'll be fine with moving on with this story. There were no beeps. Anyway, back to the story. It turns out that a group of recent immigrants from Somalia didn't actually decide spontaneously to reject universally accepted medicine. (laughs) You guys picturing pirates taking over Wakefield's illegal lecture international waters boat. (laughs) Look at me. I am the captain now. Look this playground. (laughs) I'd love to. Nothing wrong with this. (laughs) No, uh, several well-known anti-vax group gathered at the local mall for an educational in session that included, you guessed it, telling decades-old lies about vaccines and shouting down the actual doctors who showed up to correct them. Oh, for fuck's sake. Diphtheria has a more motivated lobby than we do, y'all. I, I, I don't want to depress everybody, but that's the world we live in, and there's no way out but suicide. Oh, sure. That Whoa. stays in. So unfair. <laughs> I wasn't and, recommending it. <laughs> and by the way, if this story seems familiar, it should. Andy Wakefield was the cause of just such an outbreak of this kind in the exact same community in 2011. But a brand new batch of assholes are here to cause it now, with this latest bunch being led by Mark Braxel, who regular listeners to all of our shows will remember from our review of Vaxxed and regular all-you-can-eat buffet patrons will remember as that guy whose picture is on the wall with the big Ghostbusters circle in line through it. <laughs> yeah, and, and who 34 Minnesotans may remember as the reason they have an old-timey disease. Mm-hmm. Uh. Long story short, a mere six years after a group of politically motivated lying baby murderers used immigrant scientific ignorance and vulnerability... 
to propagate their terrible agenda, they're at it again. The more things okay. change. Mm-hmm. And finally tonight, from the comic trans file, notorious hate pastor and professional font of bigotry, font, font, font well nailed it, font of bigotry, Kevin Swanson, made a big announcement last week about the secret atheist plot to abolish private property, overthrow the czar, and make all the boys into girls and all the girls into boys. The, the craziest part of that isn't the part he didn't say. <laughs> nope. So, <laughs> during his radio show, he said the following, quote, the goals of the educational program in the public schools is that your kids be transgendered and communist by 20 years of age, end quote. Well, that seems reductionist. I mean, those aren't even goals number one and two. They're just <laughs> on they, the I, list. I don't read the meeting notes anymore. They're just really long. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just the same shit every week. Okay, so this might sound like Kevin Swanson's a fucking lunatic who's just panicking about this stuff out of nowhere, but nowhere would be inaccurate. <laughs> he, uh, he actually warned us all about something similar last year when he blew the whistle on all those NAMBLA preschools and transgender kindergartens, specifically as they relate to Nazis and cannibalism. So, mm -hmm. you know, groundwork laid, not out of nowhere. <laughs> well, okay, so say what you will. But Kevin Swanson is an overachiever. What an impressive historic swath of collective alarmism, right? I mean, he's got trans people from this century, communists and Nazis from the last one, cannibals from the one before that. Every time this motherfucker talks, he sounds like a vampire bigot playing a century-long game of racist, I'm going on a trip. <laughs> okay, now vampire bigot is my Church of Lies solo project. <laughs> I won't drink black blood. <laughs> The sickle trickle ballad. No, I've heard it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it turns out it's even worse than he thought, actually. Not only is there a secular conspiracy to carry out a Nazi cannibal pedophilia campaign in our public schools, it's also going to end capitalism. That's a trick. And apparently we're going to make that happen by getting those proletariat five-year-olds to rise up, uh, fuck some three-year-olds, eat some babies, obviously kill the Jews, and of course, seize the means of production. And also, everyone changes their gender is, is one of the dots. <laughs> this is the letting Eli book the travel of evil plots. You <laughs> say that, but horse and buggy is the loveliest way to see this country. Is really it? appreciate oh. our highways and byways. <laughs> All right. So now that our plan is out in the open, it's probably time to really flip the switch, get everyone to finally take up the white trans burden. Let's put 30 <laughs> seconds on the clock. Ideas for educational propaganda once we become the communist trans people's republic of America really soon. You want to do something okay. specific maybe? Let's do something specific <laughs> this, this week. I'm just picturing a Cuban guy in a kindergarten saying can Jesus give you handies in a communist accent? I feel like that Ooh, would... <laughs> um, how about a day in the life of Yvonne, Denise, or which? <laughs> um, about uh. All animals are equal, but tranimals are more equal than others. It's uh, from Tranimal Farm. Oh, yeah, no, of course. Um, I don't want to say this is hard um, because that's obvious. Okay, wait, uh, how about an uh, educational film? Boulder to Boulder, the gland is ours. Tomorrow is ours. That's from B Battleship Potemkin. Ooh. Um, oh, okay, I, I withdraw. How about a, uh, seize the means of baby production and then... Cut them off with garden shears or whatever it is we do. I don't know. It's not clear. <laughs> Ice cream scoop. 
Francis. <laughs> All right. Uh, how about a propaganda quote? Under cisgender capitalism, man exploits man. Under transgender communism, it's just the opposite. <laughs> That's John Kenneth Galbraith, uh, the communist manifesto. Of course. No, obviously. Okay, I see what we're going for here. I see it. Um, how about an essay on the private property of proper privates from Karl Marx's theory on sistery? Ooh. Boom. Okay. This, this is a reach. Smart joke. Non-binary oursery. <laughs> What's happening? Not mine, ours. I don't know, man. It's, <laughs> you got real specific. He really did. We <laughs> used to just do like funny girl scout. <laughs> I got an AP lit textbook I'm leafing through for this fucking week. <laughs> All right, I got one more. How about uh, peace, land, bread, rape, cis people while they shit? That's Lenin's. April theses on feces. <laughs> so, I guess we can let Eli out of this now that we've raised the bar on intellectual shit jokes like that. We've done our duty and we can close the headlines there. Heath, Eli, thanks as always. Bleep. And when we come back, Daryl Ray and Gail Jordan will be here because I didn't tell them they'd be following a communist poop joke. Hi, welcome to We're Out of Everything and We Hate You. What can I glare at you about today? Yeah, okay, so I've located both the jade key and the copper one, so I think you can unlock the plexiglass vault with the razors in it now, right? Um, do you know the secret password? Uh, Barada Nikto. Okay, and you brought a bag of sand approximately the weight of the razors you want? Yes. Okay, are you sure? Because I am not running from that boulder again. I brought it. All right, I'll page someone who won't answer, but might bring the key eventually. Wait there while I pretend like straightening these bags is an important task that I'm engrossed in. Stephanie to aisle two eventually. Stephanie to aisle two. This seems it's not going to go well. Has this ever happened to you? Then why not try Dollar Shave Club? You don't need a razor with more points of articulation than a G.I. Joe, and you don't need to defeat a minotaur to get it. You can get them delivered to your door with Dollar Shave Club. It's the smarter choice. For a limited time, new members get their first month of the executive razor with a tube of the Dr. Carver Shave Butter for only $5 with free shipping. After that, razors are just a few bucks a month. That's a $15 value for 5 bucks. Uh, do you think Stephanie's coming? I don't even know if she's here today. Okay, well, then why? Uh, 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 hold on. I'm looking at my phone's lock screen intently right now. In your first month's box, you get an awesome weighty handle, a full cassette of four cartridges, and a tube of their Dr. Carver shave butter, which, by the way, is see-through in case you'd like to see your face while you're shaving it. After your first month, replacement cartridges ship automatically at their regular price. There are no hidden fees and no commitments. Cancel anytime you like. Okay, I feel like you would want to take my money, though. That I mean, right? You'd think That's that, right? Doesn't that seem like should be part of the plan? So don't wait. You'll find this offer exclusively at dollarshaveclub.com slash scathing. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash scathing. It's the smarter choice. Yeah, Stephanie's not coming, is she? She died in 2008. Oh. Uh, sorry? Thank you. <laughs> in the u.s alone christianity has over a hundred dedicated television stations 
They have about 600 religious universities, 350,000 churches, over half a million pastors, and well over $80 billion in annual revenues. We, on the other hand, have a handful of underfunded initial organizations with a lot of R's and F's in them. In fact, by my back-of-the-envelope calculation, every dedicated atheist activist in the U.S. has to counteract the work of about 80,000 equally dedicated Christians. Of course, not many people are up to this task, but I've got two guests here today that have been facing that challenge head-on for years. Daryl Ray is the founder of the Recovering from Religion Foundation and the president of its board of directors. He's a psychologist, an author, and a popular speaker at secular conferences. Gail Jordan is the RFR's executive director. She's an attorney, a blogger, a fitness enthusiast, and a heathen. Gail, Daryl, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us on, Noah. Good to be back. Yeah, been been too long. So, uh, Gail, we'll start with you. For the listeners that aren't familiar, uh, can you give us a broad outline of what the Recovering from Religion Foundation is and what you do there? Sure. As you've mentioned, Noah, we were founded in 2009 by Dr. Ray, who found, who saw a need to have some sort of resource for folks as they go through this journey of doubting and maybe subsequently leaving their faith, because there are some similarities in everyone's journey. There are obviously some differences, but there was enough in common that he saw the need to put together some kind of an organization that would support this kind of journey. And that was, uh, we're we're in our ninth year, so that was all these many years ago. I was, uh, you took my breath away when you said that each of us as a heathen has the work to do of of 80,000 Christians. (laughs) And I tell you, we feel it at Recovering from Religion. The foundation, uh, we have added, we've gone through a, a variety of changes and we've added and um, expanded some of our services, but we absolutely take people where they are. When they come to us, they they literally come to us with their questions. We have a telephone hotline, we have an internet-based chat line, and, and we'll talk a little bit more later in the program about what we've expanded to include. But this this effort is, a, is an effort to try to help those folks who are struggling and think they're the only ones and are sometimes in isolated areas and maybe the only non-believer in their family and with their friends and church may be the only thing they've ever known. And the trauma and the arduous effort to work through that is what we're here to, to to give them hope, help, healing, and support. Obviously, there's a lot going on at the RFR, and I'm sure we could have any number of interesting discussions about it, but I'd like to focus this interview on the Hotline Project. So, uh, Daryl, what what inspired the Hotline Project, and and what's its goal? Well, I started this whole thing with the local meetings, and I realized really quickly that there's a lot of people that don't have a local meeting. I I could work my butt off and never get all the local meetings we needed in, in local communities. So it just it just led to the notion that why don't we set up some kind of a like a suicide hotline, only only it's not of course that for that purpose, and we tried it out and it worked very well. Um, three almost a little more than three years ago we we started it. It took about a year of planning and put it together, and it just it we could see. I tell you, Noah, when somebody calls in and tells us they're getting ready to be thrown out of the house or their wife hasn't spoken to him in four months since she found out he's an atheist or my, my husband uh, is getting ready to divorce me because I, I won't go to church with them anymore. Those are heartrending, just heartrending. We are the first line of defense for them. We're the first place that people call and they've got a human being on the other side that is well-trained. All of our uh, agents have to go through training and they have to go through supervision. And we realized we needed to reach out and, and touch more people. So that's when the idea of the chat line came up because we really can only accept calls from within the United States. It's just too expensive otherwise. And we set the chat line up and that that opened us up basically to the entire planet. 
So it, both of those things have taught us a lot. We've learned a hell of a lot in the two or three years we've been doing all this. But what we realize is there's so much need out there, so much need. It's, it's phenomenal. And we need volunteers. We need lots of help. We need donations to get, the, you know, to, to try and accomplish the mission that we've got. So now you said that, they, uh, that your uh, call takers are extensively trained. What, what kind of training do they receive? We have developed training over the over the two and a half years that we've been working on the hotline. It's um, we have used guidelines that we have gathered from the American Psychology Association and the Psychiatrist Association on what kind of support and what kind of listening skills we can we can implement and what kind of techniques that we can use to try to elicit their response without giving them advice. So, um, and all of our agents are, 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 you know, required to go through that. Not only as you become a volunteer, not only do you have to go through our vetting process, that's just the, that's just the nature of how we vet our volunteers. There's an interview, there's references, those kinds of things. But then once you, once you're inside the program, so to speak, and you're a volunteer, then there's still additional training for you to go to in order to be a chat or phone agent. Noah, I was a trainer uh, early in my psychological career for like the first 10 years. I trained peer support and peer counselors. And this training meets or exceeds all the standards for, for very low level. I mean, we're not training people to, to do real sophisticated stuff, but it's amazing how sophisticated our agents get very quickly. Yeah, I can I can only imagine as Gail was describing and I was thinking to myself, boy, I could probably just use that training for like dealing with the guy at Subway, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? All of us can can stand to develop our listening skills. Yeah. All of us develop our subway skills. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So okay, so now you've already kind of hinted that there's uh you've got some big things in the works for the hotline project. So what are the plans going forward? I'll jump on that one real quick, and Daryl might want to follow up on that. One of the, as as we've been talking, Noah, you've you've heard us say that as agents, we are restricted by certain boundaries. That's a healthy thing to do, and and we work hard to maintain those those boundaries in place. However, when we do follow up, uh, you know, when we've asked some of our callers to give us a little bit of anonymous feedback, one of the pieces that continues to be missing in this whole relationship is, as much as we can show that compassion. And as much as we can help them be reflective and, and work out their own problems, they're still missing a critical piece, and that's being part of a community. This idea of community is not new within secularism, particularly for folks who are leaving religion. We, we oftentimes leave behind our entire support community. So in an effort to be creative, to try to think, you know, how can we provide for these folks the thing that they, this one piece that they so desperately need, particularly our isolated folks. Yes, we can, yes, Recovering from Religion has support groups. And if you're fortunate enough to live in one of those areas where one is developed, then that's awesome. And you can go in person and you can, you can create community with folks who are going through similar struggles. But for those folks who are isolated, we have now developed what we're calling our helpline community. All of our chat and all of our phone has, has is going into this new system of this helpline. And in addition to that, we're offering the helpline community. And that's where folks, callers, who have called in subsequent to a chat or a phone conversation with one of our trained agents are invited in, so to speak, into an online community of folks who are who are going through like like journeys. For example, it's it's religion-specific or experienced-specific support groups that they can join online. It might be 
ex-Christian, ex-Jehovah's Witness, ex-Mormon, but it also might be LGBT or military. That's a unique experience that as the community members come in, they, they are not under those same restrictions. They're able to build community. They're able to use that language that we, that we have been unable to use, which is, I understand what you're going through. I know how that feels. Here's what worked for me. And so we still have trained agents to be part of that community. And we still, the, the agents will still observe those boundaries and restrictions, but the members Members of the community are able to form lasting relationships. They're able to develop new friendships. They're able to ask questions without judgment and get answers and get and hear stories and experiences about how someone else has gone through that similar thing. And the folks in the community can can give back and they can help one another along the way. And that's what that's the expansion of our helpline into our helpline community. We're kind of rebranding this whole thing, as you've heard, uh, Gail use the term helpline rather than hotline. Within, within our system is still hotline kind of concept. People can actually phone in. But we want, we want this to be much broader than just a phone call. We, we, want, we want to be a, a full service, one-stop um, one kind of service, if, if you will. And we're also reaching out to external groups. And we are really working, uh, we'll be working very hard. We already started working very hard to reach out to other groups that we can ally with. And that would be LGBT groups, ex-Mormon groups, uh, ex-Muslim groups, you name it. We want to partner with all of those groups because people are going to come to us. Oftentimes, they'll be come to us first. And then we can turn around and feed those people through our system, out to groups that they can provide, that provide um, external, a community external of what we're doing. I call, um, I, I call this secular support. We are providing secular support for people who are leaving, leaving religion. And we're, we're helping people find support in their own communities or find support in their own uh, former religious uh, communities as well. And what we really want to do in the next, uh, starting about August, and Gail can talk about this if she wants to. We want to read at, we, check, we want to reach into the religious communities. We want to we want to put advertisements, if you will, on Facebook sites that are for religions, because we know there are people in church every day, every Sunday, that need us and want to come out, but they don't know about us. So if we can free up some resources, we will be able to do that, and that's what we've done. We have cut our costs dramatically, and we've increased our capacity for service dramatically all at the same time. And it's largely because the technology has changed. I mean, technology is just going fast in this area. Well, and it's and it's helpful to understand too, no, we're in a unique position among secular organizations. And you mentioned it earlier. Not only is all of our effort spent in an outward direction, trying to put ourselves in a position to be able to help folks, Recovering from Religion is an entirely volunteer organization from, from Daryl all the way down to the newest volunteer. All of our resources, all of the donations, everything that we have is put into the program to be able to reach out to folks. And as Daryl mentioned, as we have become more and more efficient with this with this new expanded program, we'll, able to, we'll be able to direct those resources, as he said, more in, into the Christian community and get the hotline, the chat line, the helpline in front of the eyes of the folks. So many of us 
who are who have been secular for a number of years, our social media communities have have become much, you know, they've become secular. That's where our friends have come from. And we and and so we want to put the the helpline and everything it can offer from the phone to the chat to the resources to the podcast to the blog to the community to everything that we offer in front of those folks. And so when we re uh, when we restructured this system, we did this with an eye to being a client, being a person who's in need, who's struggling, and we wanted to be that thing. How can we help? What can we do to help you with your journey? What resources can we provide? What is it you need to help you with your journey? And everything that we have done is focused toward that direction. Amazing. You guys are doing the work of 80,000 people apiece, and you're looking for a way to do more. (laughs) Awesome. That's great. That's, That's awesome. Oh, okay, now I've got to imagine that a lot of the listeners are sitting at home right now or in their car right now thinking to themselves, boy, would I like to get involved with something like that. Uh, what would you tell them? How can they help? Well, it's it, we've got it all set up, and I'm glad that you asked that question. So, of course, the website is recoveringfromreligion.org. When you go to that landing page, across the top, you'll be able to, you'll see a couple of options. The volunteer option would be one that I would encourage encourage everybody to click. Once you click on that and you start that process, we'll handle it from our end. We will do, uh, as you fill out the form, we'll contact your references. We'll set up an interview time. We'll do our part to get you into the system as quickly as possible. We'll get you through your training so that you can be on the front lines with the rest of us. There's also a donate button right at the top. And and as you know, all of this progress, all of this work costs money and and we are being as efficient as we can be. And once again, we are an all-volunteer organization. So those are two things. But there's a couple of other things. And one is to give us a signal boost on your social media, to give us a a retweet or a repost every time Recovering From Religion, you know, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. And as we put out our social media posts, just give us a shout out, boost our signal, get this where more folks know about who we are. But, But one of the most critical things that you can do is to tell somebody who needs us that we are here. We are so ready to help, but we can't help folks if they don't know we're here. So we're asking everybody, and that costs nothing and it takes no time. But anytime, if you're in a if you're in an, a, a virtual conversation with someone, drop a link into Recovering From Religion. If you're in an actual conversation with someone, say there's a telephone number. It's called 184-I-DOUBT-IT, and I think you can talk to them about your struggle. If you can help us do those things, imagine the impact as we work one heathen against 80,000 Christians. Imagine the exponential work that we can do if everybody joins joins us doing that. Well, you know, I've said for a long time, the strength of this movement can only be in the bonds between each other, in the communities that we develop. So uh, on behalf of the atheist community and all the people who might just be on their way into it, I want to thank you for the work that you guys are doing. Thanks, Noah. Could we put in one plug for the Secular Therapy Project as well? That's the last piece we haven't talked about. Yeah, by all means, uh, please like uh, fill in the listeners. What uh, What is the Secular Therapy Project uh, and uh, how can people find it? Okay, well, it um, it's to help people find secular therapists because they're a religious therapist. And they're licensed and they're trained in oftentimes secular universities. What a lot of people don't know is, and the, the layperson can't know, is is that person properly trained in evidence-based psychotherapy? And you can't tell. You cannot tell by going online and finding a psychologist you know, within 10 miles of your house or something. So we started the process of registering truly secular therapists. The therapist has to prove to us, they have to apply to us first, 
then they have to prove to us that they have the proper credentials and license, and then they have to prove to us that they're secular. And then last and most important, they have to prove to us that they use evidence-based methods in their psychotherapy. They don't use new age stuff, and they don't send you back to the church or read the Bible or pray with you, any of that, any of that stuff. So once a therapist gets into our database, it's kind of like Match.com or a dating site. We kind of designed it that way. It protects both sides, both the therapist and the client. You can get online. You say, show me a therapist within 50 miles of my house that deals with marriage and family issues. And just click on that and names will come up. And you can just choose one or two of those names. And you can correspond uh, through our system with that therapist. And then the therapist can respond to the client. So you're going through our system. Nobody's name is there. Nobody's email. Nobody's phone number. It's like it's very much like a dating site. Everybody's protected on both sides, and then it's their responsibility to communicate. And then once they've decided, yeah, you we fit together, then they make their own appointment outside of our system. And they do charge. I mean, they're professionals. But our service is totally free. We have four very dedicated volunteers, therapists that are secular atheists, secular therapists that are vetting these therapists before they can get into our database. We have 320 therapists registered now and 10,600 clients registered searching for therapists. 10,600 people have registered on our site to search for a therapist. That's just, that shows the need right there. Yeah. Well, yeah, right. And, and, uh, whatever, 10 years ago, they had nowhere to really go for that. That's that's amazing. I, like I said, there's a lot of things that you guys do at the uh, RFR that uh, really impressed the hell out of me. But the Secular Therapy Project, I, I support that and promote it every chance I get. Um, now, of course, we're going to have links to uh, Recovering from Religion Foundation's website on the show notes, as well as uh, more links to everything that we talked about today. Uh, again, we're only scratching the surface of what the RFR does in this interview. So please check out the website, learn more about it. And if you can, get involved. Uh, Gail, Daryl, thank you again so much for your time tonight. Thank you so much, Noah. That was great. Before we hit the showers tonight, I want to remind everybody that God Awful Movies is going on tour this summer. We've already got dates in New York, Salt Lake City, and Seattle. We're looking to add a show in Austin, Texas soon, and there's still one international date in the works. You can find the most up-to-date details on the homepage at scathingatheist.com. Anyway, that's all the blast we've got for you tonight. We'll be back in 10,022 minutes with more. If you can't wait that long, be on the lookout for a brand new episode of our sister show, The Skeptocrat, debuting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time on Monday, and a brand or newer episode of our sister show's hot friend, God Awful Movies, debuting 24 hours after that, and... Be on the lookout for our sister show's hot friends, hot cousin from out of town citation needed, which will be debuting on Wednesday, May 17th. So like we're gonna have you covered Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday next week because free time is for young people. Now, obviously, it wouldn't quite be a show if I didn't thank Heath for somehow managing to power through the last couple of weeks, despite the lack of access to his lucky shorts. I want to thank the lovely Lucinda Lucians for giving us a reason to smile this week and giving me a reason to smile for almost 21 years. I need to thank Eli Bosnick for eventually letting me get through my stories this week and for making it such a fun challenge. Obviously, I want to offer a huge thanks to Daryl Ray and Gail Jordan for all the work that they're doing. Again, check the show notes for a link to everything we talked about this week. Also, quick thanks to a guy from England for providing this week's Farsworth quote. But most most of all, of course, I need to thank this week's most complimentable comrades, 
Michael, Matthew, Keegan, the future Mrs. Enright, Vanessa, Ian, Gayla, James, Levi, Justin, Karen, Jared, Christina, Deanna, Cinnamon, Richard, John, Dominic, Ben, Brad, Douglas, Stephanie, Chris, Mandy, and Peter. Michael, Matthew, Keegan, the future Mrs. Enright, and Vanessa, whose wits are so sharp, Hatari Hanzo vowed never to make them again. Ian, Galen, James, Levy, and Justin, who have been asked to avoid erections on August 21st so nobody misses the eclipse. Karen, Jared, Kristen, Deanna, and Cinnamon, whose ferocious ninjutsu solves the Fermi paradox. Richard, John, Dominic, Ben, and Brad, whose ejaculations are given names by the National Weather Service. Service, and Douglas, Stephanie, Chris, Mandy, and Peter, who aren't a coming as the Energizer Bunny is to going. Together, these 25 tendentious targeters of the tenacious transgressions of the tabernacle took the time to tie the truth this week by giving us money. Not everybody has the discerning taste in fine wines that it takes to give us money, but if you're up to the challenge, you can make a per-episode donation at patreon.com slash whereby you'll earn early access to an extended ad-free edition of every episode, or you can make a one-time donation by clicking on the donate button on the right side of the homepage at scathingatheist.com. Legal services for this podcast are provided by the law offices of P. Andrew Torres and our audio engineer is Morgan Clark who also wrote all the music used in this episode which was used with permission. If you have questions, comments, or death threats you'll find all the contact info on the contact page at scathingadius.com Are we doing Is it him again? Are That's we coming back to him? Okay. You can, you can sure do him, yeah. The preceding podcast was a production of Puzzle and a Thunderstorm, LLC. Copyright 2017. All rights reserved.